getting to this session, transitioning. Dave, welcome to the uh, the call here. Thank you for being here. How you doing, Chad? Thanks for having me. Uh, I Because this is your first time at a breakthrough event, I'm going to take a stab at an introduction and let you fill in uh, whatever you think would be appropriate. Sure. Um, you are uh, a husband, a father of three. Correct. Uh, seven down to three or something like that. Seven down to two. My uh, Seven down to one and a half. Yep. Okay. One and a half. Um, so it wasn't too far off there. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're uh, a private practice owner. You had a practice, uh, Princeton PT, with uh, your partner, Owen Lennon, that you grew to six practices. And then you merged with professional PT, where you've had multiple roles, roles primarily in expansion, uh, marketing, and, and m and Is that fair enough? Correct. Great. So anything that I missed there in the intro that you think uh, everybody should know here? No, I mean, I'm primarily in New Jersey, but our, my kind of role with professional is company-wide now across five states. We're in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, and, and New York. Okay. And uh, just so everybody understands the, the sizing, because I think you're in a very unique position where very recently you were running six clinics. And now in the last four years, you're nearing 200, 190 plus clinics. Yeah, we're about 200 clinics now. Uh, my business that that I owned was six clinics. Prior to that, prior to opening my business, I was, I was actually a minority partner and kind of opened a couple clinics for sports care, which has 60 clinics or so of their own. At the time, they probably had 25 clinics. Uh, then I started my own business, grew it to being six in about two and a half years, um, and then sold it to professional. And then I've been on board with professional for about the last four or five years. That was about four or five years ago managed operations mostly in New Jersey, and then kind of grew to more of my development role now where I oversee M&A, I oversee our opening up of new clinics and de novos, and uh, strategic partnerships with like health, health, health systems, starting new ancillary products like home care, things like that. Great. So um, for everybody that's listening or viewing right now, Dave has, a, a, again, a super unique perspective there were, uh, we probably talked for the first time uh, two or three months ago. Um, and the way that he looks at growth, I, I think is very unique. Again, coming from that uh, private practice background that many of us um, know. And uh, the thing that uh, really struck me, Dave, the, it, where you're at uh, when you're talking about the Novo clinics, just so we're on the same page for anybody that's new to that term, um, that essentially means opening a new clinic. Absolutely. Opening up from organic level of identifying a location, not acquiring a location, not acquiring an existing business, but opening up a new location with essentially zero patients in the door at minute one. Yeah. So I'm in Harrisburg and I open a new clinic in Hershey. That's a de novo clinic. Exactly. Great. So now when you're doing that, um, and I, obviously there are various reasons that an owner might want to do that. Um, to be able to leave a bigger impact, touch more lives, um, expand their capacity to serve in an area, um, drive the, the value of uh, their business within the marketplace. Can you talk about, um, you, you mentioned assessing an area. Sure. How do you, how do you think about assessing an, an area in terms of growth? And just so you're aware, uh, Chris Redding answered a very similar question earlier and his, uh, and just so you're aware of his answer, it was primarily, if you have the right people in place first, then you, the secondary is 
go through the other variables of finding the right location. So I would love it if you could focus on that set. Ver let's assume the right people are in place. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, how do you look for the right area to open up in? Yeah. And I would also say, according to what Chris is saying, I agree to an extent, but then there's also variables that might bring your referral sources or where you're driving referrals from uh, to being even more valuable than sometimes the person, because you might have that first and then try to identify the person. Mm -hmm. So in our size or our system, we kind of look at opening up a de novo clinic versus acquiring a business in two different ways. So if we, if we're looking to get into a new market, let's say, and when I say market, like a sub market, meaning like a 15, 20 mile radius in the suburbs, um, we're going to probably try to enter through acquisition. If we want to open a de novo, a de novo, we're probably going to go in our, let's say strategic area that we already exist. And we are already draw referrals from, we already have relationships from, uh, it's not too far away in the zip codes that we currently have. And then I would say in my practice of uh, being a private practice owner and my kind of put my private practice owner ad on, I would say the things that kind of drive when an opportunity might arise of uh, uh, the type of location or when to open up a, a de novo, I think a lot of us kind of recognize that opportunity of like, Maybe a doc tells you, hey, I have trouble referring into this town or this zip code. Can you open up a location there? Or I have some relationships in the community or somebody I know has relationships in this particular town where I could kind of drive business from that town um, through the community and the local kind of uh, aspect of building business that way. Um, you know, and then always, like Chris was saying, if you have a good somebody to partner with, that's probably a good idea too, you know? Yep. And, and I completely agree that the, the de novo clinic that we're opening next, that we're in the middle of construction on, we happened to do an event there and we found that the patients were amazing. Like there was a, an awesome response to an event that we hosted there um, at a, it was actually at a public library. It was unreal. Right. So we, we need to open there. So um, pretty smart uh, there in terms of, ex, uh, expanding new clinic, you have an expectation on, okay, we're going to take, let's use an arbitrary number, $150,000 to open up a new space. Okay. Uh, and it might vary depending on, you know, if we, the, geogra the geographical location and the, the cost expense to open up that clinic. But there is a certain number that as an owner, if I'm opening a new clinic, that I need to invest in doing that. What, can you give me an idea? And this is, when you and I talked about this, this floored me how you think about this because I, I just had never heard anybody talking about it before. When you're opening a new clinic, the expectation that you have on that clinic's return. Sure. Um, so I don't remember what I actually said at that time, but <laughs> I'll, I'll go with what I normally do. <laughs> well, you, you, you have a goal for uh, a, 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 three PTs, right? Right, yeah. Within so, okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, so when we look at a de novo, I really want that de novo to, to kind of grow into a three-person clinic where three full-time equivalents of a physical therapist can kind of, in other words, that's the goal. That's the potential, what I'm looking for at least to get there. And that might mean approximately 150 to 180 visits in a week. In order to get to the 150 to 180 visits a week, I want to bring in about 12 to 15 new patients a week. So 
what I do is try to analyze where those referrals, where those new patients are going to come from, and then project them out over the course of, let's say, one year, two, two years, or three years, so that I can say by year three, year four, we might be three, three physical therapists deep in this one clinic. And to me, that's a very successful de novo. And don't, don't get me wrong, we don't have all of our de novos don't go that, do that well, but that is what we're shooting for every single time. Yeah, that's the goal. Yep. Great. It, yeah. And I, then I based on your, your $150,000 in cash, a lot of what we look at is what a lot of people can, can do is analyze cash on cash return. So cash on cash return, if you're a private practice owner is, if it cost me $150,000 in capital expense in order to open up this clinic, um, that includes working capital, that includes the construction to, to build out the clinic, that includes um, the uh, equipment and uh, all the clinical tools that you need in the clinic, that includes if you have any loss in the first couple months when you open up the clinic, and then over what period of time are you gonna get to 100%? Are you gonna get to 100% in one year, two years, three years? And, and that's, and by getting to that, I mean the cash flow, the, the net income at the end after EBITDA. I mean, I talk in EBITDA, but free cash flow, how much flows to you after you pay everybody? Awesome. So <clears throat> again, tapping into that unique perspective, you've been on both ends of not only selling your practice or merging your practice, but also buying other practices. Sure. I never had experience, um, and, and I've been through um, conversations around an external sale and then ended up selling internally as well. I never understood the value of a de novo clinic until I talked with you from a transactional component. Um, I think that would be earth shattering for owners to hear about the importance of that. So if I, you know, if I own two practices, two locations, and I'm thinking about opening a third, how does that enter into the conversation from the buyer's perspective and how do they view it? And also um, the seller's perspective, me as the owner, what does that mean to me? What, what's the value for both of us um, if I'm thinking about doing that? And just so you know, a lot of small practice owners or private practice owners that don't have that many clinics don't take advantage of this. So what, what it is, is um, if you can put a pro forma or projections together and give some basis or some uh, let's call it um, historical relevance to the fact that you know that you can achieve the numbers or the projections that you can achieve, you could get credit for that um, in transactional value today, or at least in an earnout, maybe an earnout in, in post-COVID times. But prior to COVID, you could get that transactional value, you know, the multiple on that EBITDA of what you would get in two or three years because you've projected it You've shown a history of, a, of achieving that goal. And then you could get that, that value, transaction of value in advance at the time of your closing. Uh, a lot of times we're doing it in earnouts post-COVID, but pre-COVID, a lot of people were getting those values now. And who knows after vaccine comes out and things get back to normal, that might all translate back into to higher valuations for those private practice owners. Okay. So let's do a real world example here. Sure. I'm not negotiating a sale gotcha. or merger of my business. <laughs> no worries. But I, I just want to put some real numbers. So in, in 2018, because, and again, you, you called out the nugget. Most owners never think about this or take advantage of it. Exactly. Um, and, and I think it's very relevant for 
um, the owners that are on this call. So. I would also say most owners don't put it on paper in order for them to take advantage of it. Even when they're opening up a clinic, you got to put it on paper in order to kind of project it in the first place. Yeah. So you used a very important term uh, that several other of our uh, guests here today have used, and that's pro forma. Just to reset for everybody, a pro forma is a financial projection into the future. So for example, when we opened our Dolphin Clinic in September of 2018, Dan, our clinical director and partner there, did a, a one-year projection for every month. You know, here's, this is our expected revenue and these are expected costs. Um, to answer your question, Ron, that clinic um, was started turning a profit uh, within uh, 60 days, which is kind of crazy. And in year one, um, first full year in business, 2019, um, they, they did uh, $212,000 in, in EBITDA, which I, I thought was amazing. Uh, we were very happy with that. And then, uh, and I, Dave, I think your target is around a 300K, 350K, something like yeah, that. Depending All on part. the state we're in, but like, let's call it like just under that, maybe like 250, 300. Fine. Yeah. So, the, and our goal, um, yeah, was to hit the, the same ballpark within uh, 24 months to 36 months. So now since that point, we've opened clinic, uh, we had two COVID clinics that we opened literally right before the pandemic hit. Um, and luckily they're, they're on a nice trajectory as well. Um, right around uh, 140, 150 visits um, per week already. Um, and then we're opening a sixth location. So what I would do, if I hear you correctly, is I would take a projection of EBITDA, a, prof a future projection of EBITDA and start that conversation um, it, and try to recognize at least a portion of that value within the overall value of my practice. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're projecting out, you're projecting out the visits, you're projecting out the, the referrals, you're projecting out the cost, you're projecting out the revenue and then minus the cost, you'll get to EBITDA eventually. And then if you, if you can kind of show that on paper to your potential buyer and it looks good, presents well, and you have some kind of rationale or some historical kind of performance to kind of back up your claim, then you can get that value. And, and the, uh, the, the buyer will kind of recognize that um, in some capacity, uh, in some way, shape or form, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I, I, I would feel remiss if I didn't ask you about this. We, um, we've all been through this crazy year, right? Deal flow has been a little goofy. Um, I know uh, you've had uh, some new, you've acquired some new partners or merged with some new partners recently. Can you just give us some uh, color in terms of deal flow that you're seeing in the marketplace right now? Sure. So, um, you know, a lot of the, let's say buyers, uh, you know, people like us and other people that were kind of that grow through acquisition, we're all kind of talking and all trying to kind of let things happen. Some things were like on the table, uh, let's say going into COVID. Some things were kind of just like, you know, COVID gave us a lot of time to kind of put those discussions together, talk to more people, see what else was out there, kind of create more relationships. And now is like, you know, just at this turn of the year, I have like, let LOI is a term that I use a lot, letter of intent. So letter of intent for us means that we've agreed to terms, uh, both the buyer and the seller have agreed to terms, and then we're trying to close. So I have like, six people going into LOI in the next two, three weeks. So like, now the deal flow is starting to happen. We had a couple close uh, just recently over the last couple of weeks, uh, last couple of months. 
and then uh, now going into the new year, I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of that kind of work that was happening during COVID or post COVID, whatever I call it, is going to come to fruition in this quarter going into Q2. Great, it was a very detailed answer, and I, I appreciate that. That, that you, <laughs> just to um, let owners know that they're really happening, because I know we had some owners going into the you know um, COVID that had deals in place, and then they kind of backed off. Just letting them know that they can at least dip their toe in the water again moving yeah. forward. So thank yeah. you for that. Absolutely. Um, and anything specifically that when you're acquiring a clinic, what is the most valuable thing? Um, at, let's say secondary to EBITDA because I, I you know, it, we're, we're in a visits business. We're in an EBITDA type business. Understanding that, and I, Bob just crushed that in the last session, uh, Bob Kowalik, um, wh what other things do you look for um, when you're acquiring a, a partner? To me, the most valuable thing is if you could drive referrals. Those visits don't come, that re revenue and those EBITDA doesn't come unless the patient comes in your door in the first place. So if you can drive referrals in, into your clinic and have a plan or create relationships and you could kind of, um, whether it be through physicians or through health systems or through uh, community relations or have a plan or a system or something along those lines where not only can you keep, we can trust the fact that those referrals are going to keep coming in, but then also have some kind of system that can kind of bring into the fold and we can kind of integrate with our plan to kind of even drive in more referrals because usually when we're acquiring clinics, it kind of comes into a sub-market. So maybe Maybe if, for example, I'm acquiring your practice in Pennsylvania, but I have practices near you in Pennsylvania, I can kind of develop those referral relationships together. And, um, you know, now it kind of even becomes even more valuable to the, to the whole, you know, the, the team is always bigger than the, the individual. So um, that to me is always valuable and how, how consistent and how, 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 let's say, how much I can trust that those are going to keep happening um, and, and the trend around that. So bringing in new businesses is, is to me the, the most valuable thing. Wonderful. Um, I'm gonna catch up here in uh, the chat Q and A. By the way, if you have a question uh, for Dave, type that in the Q and A, and I'll moderate. Um, Jesse asked, uh, "What was the nature of the event that we held at the library? It was a workshop. Um, I don't remember the diagnosis, but it was either it, off the top of my head." Uh, I know Jan and Joe did the workshop for us. Um, they're two of our directors. And yeah, it was either rotator cuff or back pain at the public library. And they, uh, they promoted it for free. It was kind of crazy and uh, worked out really well. Um, Ron asked the question, how long do you expect to start turning a profit on the DeNovo? I know you kind of alluded to that. Is there like a, a month goal that you have? Yeah, ideally, we're looking at three months in order to become EBITDA positive. Yeah, um, so that's income or revenue minus cost are positive, right? Yep, exactly. Wonderful. And then same for an acquisition. So how do you view an acquisition in terms of uh, EBITDA positive? Well, usually we're buying practices or acquiring practices that are already EBITDA positive. So that's, it's a little bit different of a kind of analysis at that point in time. So the analysis on, you can still analyze kind of cash on cash return. And if you're gonna return on that cash, like so the, the total capital outlay or the internal rate of return or the net present value, but 
in, in, in our scenario, we're looking at acquisitions as a valuation add. So how much EBITDA can we add? So we're already acquiring a business EBITDA positive. So we're kind of taking that EBITDA, adding it to our EBITDA, and then we generate what that's going to return for us in a potential next sale. Um, but so a little bit different analysis versus de novo and acquisition. Got it. Hopefully that helps Ron. Um, and then Pratik, do I have a pro forma template? Yes. Um, I bet you Dave's is nicer though. So, <laughs> uh, In my defense, I got a lot of people that can help me do that. <laughs> so, yeah, my, yeah, I've, uh, we have all different types of templates too. <laughs> I, I have a, uh, a very simplified one with like a single line item for income. And then I think we divide our, uh, our cost into 10 categories. But um, Pratik, you should actually have access to that uh, through GrowTex. We'll, we can make sure you get that. Um, great. As long as it shows the projection, it doesn't matter what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, the, and the other thing that I want to just share with everybody um, that, Dave, I'm not even sure you're aware of this. Um, so I was talking with a lot of uh, owners last year. Uh, the attempt or the goal was to do uh, three owner interviews a week, just in terms of how we were navigating, how the industry was navigating uh, the pandemic and getting back to normal. I had used the terms pro forma for like 17 years, uh, but I, it was kind of goofy that I, that I had been saying that. And um, also the de novo, like when you started talking about that, there were some key uh, phraseology, EBITDA driver, I remember as well. There, there was key phraseology that you had used that I really um, had only seen in a few other places before, but okay. kind of had made it into my vocabulary, but weren't sticky. And really what I came to realize is that, you know, with uh, a private practice owner journey and projection, uh, our, our drivers and our vocabulary changes a little bit. Is that fair? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> my, absolutely. not, not not to put you on the spot, you, you've had, uh, you know, a, a very um, uh, you've ascended rapidly in your career. Um, can you talk and, and you and I talked about this specifically. Uh, and, I, and by the way, I, I literally when I was talking with Chris, um, I, I said the word boogeyman, like, you know, for most of us that are small practice owners, we have you know, one to three locations, something like that. Anybody that is in corporate PT is kind of like the enemy competitor. Um, and, the, you know, you're very down to earth. Chris is very down to earth, very approachable. You're here sharing with hundreds of other owners, like not hiding anything. Sure. Um, can, you, can you just shed some light on that in terms of the humanity of um, corporate PT and that it's not completely bad? Um, yeah. there, there's something we can learn there in our journey. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, I had the same perspective, you know, when, uh, you know, four years ago, five years ago, I had the same perspective. What is corporate PT in my world? It was the, at the time before private equity came into uh, New Jersey market or New York market, um, it was Kessler and select medical at the time was, was, was the corporate world of PT or what I defined as it at when I was a private practice owner. And I kind of always had this kind of negative connotation to what that actually means. Um, 
and now kind of being a part of that, <laughs> being like, uh, you know, talking the new language, using these terms, these financial terms and stuff like that. I recognize that it's all, we're still all the same people with a lot of the same goals. We're not trying to like take advantage of people or hurt people or anything like that. We're just trying to, we, we have our own way of like what we feel is right. A lot of times it's kind of more data driven, like, you know, you kind of, because there's a lot of risk involved when there's a little bit more money involved, but, and because there's a lot of kind of, uh, let's say processes and procedures when you communicate with a lot of different people. Um, but for me, I thought it was this big boogeyman, but uh, you know, I just learned through the process over the last four or five years, hindsight is 2020, but uh, there's a lot to learn when you can kind of partner and interact with so many other different people that are very similar to yourself. Because if you grow through acquisitions, you know, there's a private practice owner that was doing what I was doing in Long Island and in Connecticut and Massachusetts. And now I could kind of work with them and we interact together. And it's not, uh, it's not the boogeyman that I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Very fair. Uh, we, we had a question come in here from Pradeep. And thanks for shedding some light on that, Dave. Um, sure. So from Pradeep, can you throw some light uh, on reimbursement contracts? And M&A, are you able to drive better payer contracts with your new strength in numbers, what is the threshold where you're big enough to negotiate with a payer? Yes, that exists. You're, if There's a lot of uh, strength with having a certain number of, let's call it market share um, with a payer. Um, there's many different payers that could depend on state in New Jersey. That's a big thing. Like, uh, the, the contracts, the commercial contracts in New Jersey are, and in New York, New York and New Jersey has, you know, just kind of uh, have uh, popular, you know, they, they, people know that a lot of the commercial contracts in New York and New Jersey are not the greatest uh, because there's so much density. Uh, and, but there is ways of kind of getting market share and getting better relations with the payers. I would say that in the future, we're going toward a value-based care model. Um, it's already hit the orthopedic world. It's already hit the health systems world. The, everybody that we do business on a, bar, a larger level, they're inside of ACOs and episodes of care and bubble payments. So uh, yes, there's ways that we can kind of develop relationships with, with payers. My suggestion is to find out how to objectify your outcomes so that you can uh, demonstrate to the payer that you're a uh, 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 you can reduce the cost on the healthcare system, not increase the cost on the healthcare dynamic. So even if you get paid more per visit, or if you're getting a better relationship with that payer, why is that? Because you're reducing the cost on the other part of the healthcare dynamic. You're reducing the need to go to uh, medications or, or drugs, or you're reducing the need to go to um, spine surgery, you're reducing the need to go to other people within the healthcare system because you're, because us, it, in set, essentially physical therapy is a solution to all this as an industry. Uh, we, we improve people's function. That's what we're here to do. So I think that over the next five to 10 years, we're going to find physical therapy has a, a strong place in that value-based care market. And I think that's where our, our payer relations are going to improve. Great. Um, you're partner, Owen, I believe, uh, I forget the exact title. Is it a clinical excellence? Uh, yeah. So we have our clinical excellence department and he is the director of outcomes that's in our clinical X and he's the, also the regional director of clinical excellence for 
certain area, but he's in charge of that. That's what, you know, so he's in charge of putting together our outcomes data and then presenting that data to our payers and other people that might need it. Yeah. So for most of us, we don't have a clinical excellence department. Um, wh where can we start thinking about data? Is it something as simple as like a, a functional score that we're, uh, th that we're tracking consistently? Is it, where do we start to, to um, head that off at the pass? There's softwares for it now. We use Photo or Keep is a, 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 a big one. So um, there's different uh, softwares out there that you can kind of track your outcomes that way that are make it a lot easier. Um, but tracking your outcomes, let's say, as far as how, how well your patient is improving, track to the, let's say, the national average, um, uh, how many visits per referral, how much cost that is. So essentially in physical therapy, we can say our outcomes do have an impact on the patient's function, which is a little bit different than other types of healthcare, but in healthcare, it's about cost. So uh, outcomes kind of is consistent with cost in their language. Uh, but uh, if we are providing a certain amount of care, how much can that cost reduce? It's challenging. We're not there yet. We're not there as an industry yet to kind of prove it in many instances. Um, but at a larger scale, we're trying to do that. Uh, at least we are internally, we're trying to figure out how to do that. And we do have some uh, historic relations where we're, we're developing that process. Um, so starting with just getting, getting a software and tracking it. Yeah. That, to me, that almost seems like cheating because I can remember, you know, ties <laughs> back to Cincinnati sports medicine in the nineties with uh, George Davies and Kevin Wilk doing all these ridiculous spreadsheets for, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what they were doing. They were taking that data and turning around and going to the insurance companies to justify uh, um, <laughs> better reimbursement. Um, Stacy asked, uh, did you have to close sell off any locations due to COVID? Were you able to get, uh, keep all operating? Yeah, we have uh, about 20. So many of you that I don't know where everybody is geographically speaking, but many of you might know that Manhattan was hit pretty hard during the COVID uh, time. So uh, Manhattan is not nearly back to what it's been at all uh, as a, you know, the, the, the amount of people that are inside of Manhattan on a daily basis. So we have about 20, 25 offices inside of Manhattan. So that's where our offices that we had to kind of close. Uh, we didn't sell any offices, but we had to close a couple offices, at least during that time. Just recently, like this week, when the vaccines started coming out is when we, we started hitting a climb back in, in our Manhattan offices. But many of the offices, whoever has a practice in Manhattan kind of knows what I'm talking about. But um, New York City was hit pretty hard. So that's, the, uh, that's where we were really the only place that was kind of hit to that dramatic where we had to close facilities. Every, in the suburbs and everywhere else, we are kind of open ready and operating normally. Makes sense, Dave. Um, Jonathan, your question, you're going to have to go back and watch the recording. Dave answered that uh, a, a little bit ago in, in, in case you missed it. But um, other than that, Dave, do you have this book? I don't. I saw the other thing. Uh, I've read Jim Collins before, but uh, I'm interested in reading that. Thank what, you. What, uh, hardcover, uh, Kindle, Audible. What do you? What I actually usually that? use Audible, but if there's a, a technology, we'll send you Audible. all right. Thanks. <laughs> um, other than that, uh, for everybody that's on here, um, make sure you show uh, Dave some love in the chat. Dave, 
for your first time. I think you did awesome. Thanks, man. <laughs> it was all, very, very good. Um, really appreciate the knowledge and uh, you sharing here and what you're doing in private practice PT. Thanks. Dave. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Thanks.